Amen. Uh, first word, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, therefore. So I always encourage you, as serious students of the scripture, to find out what the therefore is there for. And the therefore is so that we would understand how the Lord had worked in the nation of Israel and the miracles that he had accomplished and the defeating of the Egyptians and the miracles God had performed in providing for the nation of Israel in the wilderness. So when you come to chapter 11, it says, therefore, all of that is what he's referring to when he says, therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Listen, um, this nation, this is a perfect opportunity for us for self-application. Because this nation at this point is making that transition where the younger generation is taking the reins. The older generation has passed away. And the Lord is saying to them, because of everything I've done, historically for you as a nation. You need to have a reverence and respect for the God who accomplished those things. And you need to, as the younger generation, move forward following these precepts that the Lord has laid out and is about to lay out for you. And I think it's very significant for the church today, uh, for us individually to understand you know, that this is not a mindless faith, as some, you know, imply. They'll talk about how, you know, you just have to blindly follow. You have to believe without seeing. And they'll, they'll make these statements as though faith is something that is done out of ignorance. And honestly, the scripture doesn't record that at all. The scripture is always God taking the initiative and taking the first step and then the people responding to those things. Okay? The, the scripture is filled with God's work and what he has done. And this room is filled with God's work and what he is doing presently. So as we read through these things, we must understand that we personally, we do, we lean heavily back upon the word of God and the experiences of the faithful who've gone before us. Right? When we're reading in Hebrews and it says, since there is such a great cloud of witnesses, many preachers inappropriately assign that as though there are those that are watching us and scrutinizing us. They're, they're witnessing what we're doing, and they're, they're there to critically examine our behaviors, and that's not at all. They're there as testimony to testify and to witness to us, this is the work of the Lord in the past. Amen. This is what he has done, and we are here experiencing those things, and we testify to the younger generation that this is what the Lord has done historically, biblically, and personally in our lives, the things that the Lord has done. Therefore, looking forward, you must follow these precepts. So with all of that in mind, therefore, you shall love 
the Lord your God in, right, in reaction to, in response to. He initiates, we respond with love. Follow these charges, these statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arms. So his outstretched arms, singular. Uh, <clears throat> so he's speaking to that current generation, but he's, he's not speaking to the previous generation, which has passed away, nor is he speaking to the generation to come. He's talking about the one that's presently in his hearing, who knows of these things from education and experience, who's about to step into the promised land, and then he's going to talk about their children and what their responsibility is. There's an old cliche statement, and it's very true, and it needs to sink into every one of our hearts this morning. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. Every generation has to respond. Every generation has to choose for themselves, right? We are always one generation away from church failure. Every single generation has to respond. That's this generation now. So his signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land, he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. Listen, you're going to find the critics that always want to dismiss the miraculous from the Scripture. Uh, two of the greatest scholars that have ever worked on rendering the Word of God were the team of Westcott and Hort. Neither one of them believed in miracles. How strange is that, right? They're linguist experts. But while they're translating the Word of God, they don't even believe the miracles of the words that they're translating. We want to be very careful about who we listen to. In this discussion, there is the lie in our seminaries that the people of Egypt, sure, sure, uh, they were, the Israelites were set free, but they didn't cross the Red Sea. That's a ridiculous thought because they don't believe in miracles. They crossed what is known as the Reed Sea. You know, it's just this shallow portion of water that, uh, you know, usually is somewhere around 18 inches. And they just waded through. And yes, yes, God, you know, caused the wind to blow it back. So it might have even been as shallow as 8 to 10 inches as they waded across. What a load of hogwash. Okay, you know, if that's miraculous, you know, my teachers always pointed out then how miraculous is it that the Egyptian army drowned in less than two feet of water? You know what I'm saying? The most formidable army in the world at that time was destroyed in a wading pool. It's ridiculous. God performed a miracle and he parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land according to 
the scripture. Verse 5. What he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord, which he did. Uh, Dathan, Abiram, this was the rebellion of Korah. As we saw also the rebellion of Aaron and Miriam. But notice it's not mentioned, right? Why? Because there was repentance and restoration, right? God's grace forgets failures when there's repentance, right? Korah rebelled against Moses. They were of the tribe of Levi, and they had it in their head like, oh, we can be, you know, priests too. We can be the high priest. We don't have to just be the guys that carry the tent around, we can also perform the duties of the priesthood and maybe even the high priest's duties. So they rise up in rebellion against Aaron, and it's a long story, but to make it short, Moses basically says, if you're on God's side, then you'll agree with me, and you'll come over here and stand with me. I mean, that's, that's pretty arrogant, right? Unless you're right. And if you're wrong and you want to stand over there, with Korah, then feel free to do that as the ground opens up and swallows them and their families and all of their possessions. Frightening moment, right? No repentance there, just blatant sin. And the Lord puts that in the record for the nation of Israel, that yes, you've seen the mighty hand of the Lord against his enemies, right? Both external and internal enemies of God. That's an important thing to recognize in the church and in our faith today. So in verse 8, Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong the days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. So a couple of things there. The prolonging in the land has been described as some as longevity, that they're, they're going to have long lives, that you may live long in the land, certain uh, translations record. It's not talking about the individual's lives at all, right? Because people do die at young ages. Some die at very old ages. It's talking about how long God will let them stay in the land. We're going to drive out the evil nations, and we're going to give you the land. If you behave yourself and you do the things I'm saying, I'll let you stay there for a long time. If you disobey me, I'll drive you out of the land the same way I drive these nations out of the land. And he goes on to specifically describe that for them. Land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's poetic. What he's talking about is both pasture and pollination. It's a very fruitful land. It grows crops extremely well. They pollinate and multiply very well. So you might want to put that in your mind or your notes somewhere that you're, you're talking about the pasture and the pollination when you talk about milk 
and honey, the, the herds and the crops. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. Watered it by foot. Uh, two ideas there. One, that they would carry the yoke where they had buckets of water and they would walk to the water source and fill it and then bring it back and pour the water in. The Egyptians had also developed a water wheel method where they sat on like a bicycle type apparatus with a series of buckets and they would pedal and it would pick the water up and carry it and dump it into their irrigation fields and bring the water in. The Nile provided water, but it wasn't fresh water all of the time. It was brackish, had the sea involved in it also, so they had to do a lot to get the water into the land. Do we know the difference of straining in the effort to achieve the things we need and then being in cooperation with the Lord and he just makes this amazing provision? There's a profound difference, isn't there? It's always a blessing when the Lord is there involved in the process. Uh, Joe Foch, in his commentary on this, gives a great explanation about what a blessing the rains are. You know, the whole hydrological process that we take advantage of where the evaporation occurs mostly out over the oceans, right? And then the water is carried hundreds of miles inland and it's condensed in just the right fashion, right? Gathering around dust particles in the air, falling at just the right rate so that it does not evaporate in the fall, gathering enough water droplets so that it, when it lands gently on the ground, it irrigates the ground. It isn't large water droplets that crush the crops and destroy everything. You're talking about, you're talking about millions of of tons of water transported from the ocean. It, it's desalinated in the process, too. You know, God and his genius. You say, well, that's just simple in nature. I see that all the time. Have you experienced it when that all goes wrong? And the hail breaks your windshield? You know what I'm saying? The water does fall from the sky violently at times. What a blessing it is that the water falls gently where it's needed. You know, the Lord in his great wisdom, so much of the agrarian society understands the work of the Lord. The land which you cross over, verse 11, to possess is a land of hills and valley which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year, God is attentive to the nation of Israel. It was interesting to fly in uh, to Israel and have it pointed out as we're looking out the windows of that's the border right there. Where it's green on this side, that's Israel. Where it's dry desert on that side, that's not Israel. How interesting, right? A little smaller than Rhode Island third largest producer of produce in the world, right? America and Russia are one and two. Think about the mass of their land 
and, and then little tiny Israel, third largest producer of food in the world. They retrofitted two 747s as cargo planes so that they can drive right into them because twice a day or one after another, those jets leave Israel filled with flowers going to Holland. The land of flowers is supplied every day that those planes fly over and back and then over and back every day transporting flowers because their produce is that rich. That's miraculous, right? Mark Twain traveled through Israel prior to it being a nation, said he had traveled for 24 hours and seen nothing but desert, rock, and goats. That's what he saw. And then they become a nation in 1948, and God flips the switch and watches and blesses continuously. 11.13, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey, notice that's not casual, right? Right. There, there's, there's much of Christianity today that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, not really interested, don't, I don't know, you know. They, they got such a lackadaisical approach to this faith that the Lord has bestowed upon us. If you will earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. The, the first or former rain fell about November when they sowed their seed. And then the latter rain fell about April. And it was very necessary if they were going to be abundantly prosperous that they have that latter rain. If they don't have that latter secondary rain, then you know they're going to have their staple necessity crops, but they're not going to have the abundance and affluence that comes with the latter rains. Verse 15, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest your heart be deceived. Listen, it is very easy for our hearts to be deceived. I uh, don't remember which online dating service it was, but I saw this television ad where there's this like puppet heart, stuffed heart sitting on the couch next to this woman. And the heart is going through all of the different profiles on the dating service and telling her what she should be interested in, and then the thrust of the thing is you should listen to your heart. That's always a bad idea. Your heart will tell you things that are completely untrue. You know, consider, right, Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things. <laughs> Not some things or most things or a few things. The heart is deceitful above all things things 
That's a serious accusation. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? That, that's, a, that's a very staunch warning to us. right? We, we've experienced, have we not? Where, oh, I just really feel like I should make this decision. And you make the decision fully convinced. This is good. And then you have to live with the regret that follows. It's so painful sometimes to listen to the heart. You, you must first understand that your heart is easily deceived. Easily deceived. Okay, heart, wait a minute. You know, which, how do I make these decisions then? Well, the, here's the thing. There is a profound difference between your heart, the seat of your emotions versus your mind where logic and reason are used. Okay? You have to look at facts. You have to examine circumstances. You have to weigh out truth versus lies and consequences and make your decision based upon particularly what the Lord is telling you. You don't have the Lord in the mix. You can mess everything up. It has to be not from the emotion. It has to be. Right? How, many, how many of us have made decisions based upon what looked like good financial prospects? Oh, this is going to be wonderful. I got this opportunity. It's going to yield all of this, and I'm going to make this decision. You make the decision, and you take the steps forward into that and then you regret it right i have only one time in my life ever signed on the dotted line for a vehicle the rest of the time the lord's made provision for it i was literally in a job where i could just go to work and decide how much money i wanted to make it a day i was just rebuilding the digital cable system in this state and you know, if you just wanted to go and make, you know, good money that day, right? It was effortless. Or you could go and make colossal money each day. So, you know, running this old beat up two-wheel drive Ford rate. I need a new truck. And I walk in and make my financial presentation. And the company's like, absolutely. You know, what do you want? And I'm like, I want that one. And there's a huge thing in my mind telling me, you don't know what tomorrow holds. And I'm convinced, literally, yes, I do. And as a mature Christian, and I ignored that warning and that check in my heart. I've had many other occasions. This is just a blatant example where financially, especially, it looked like the right decision. I had no idea, right? I'm working as an employee for a subcontractor. I had no idea that the company we were subcontracted for, that the owners were using that publicly traded company like their own personal piggy bank building 13 million dollar golf courses importing marble from italy to do the things they wanted to federal government stepped in two weeks later seized the whole company 
I arrived at work and they said, yesterday was your last day. <laughs> nice truck right there. Two weeks into the payments. And I'm suddenly unemployed. They said, we'll pay you for the day to unload your truck of all of our materials and our equipment. But yesterday was your last day of actual work. Everything that looks so good on paper, just 14 days earlier, was a sum total of zero that day. You know, and the savings just went like, and now I've got this stupid truck sitting in my yard. Oh, yeah, it's pretty. It was a nice truck. Well, they hooked it up to the tow truck and pulled it out of the yard. It was beautiful. You know, because a month later, when every single Friday you're going, now do I make that truck payment or do I feed my family? Desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Our heart is easily deceived. Easily deceived. That's just one, like, polite example, Right? Because, boy, we've made some other ones that are doozies along the way where we were convinced of certain things, right? Hebrews 13.3 says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, that's every day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful. Sin warps everything. The Lord is saying, you got to follow me in these things very carefully. If you do not, it's going to warp you, deceive you, and put you in a place you can't imagine. Have you not looked back on your behavior and thought, I was insane? Have you not looked on others' lives and thought, they must have suffered a massive head injury? Something's wrong. They're just poor folks. They just are out of their mind. How could they possibly? Deceitfulness of sin. Verse 17. Let me get rid of this. Verse 17. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. You have to understand that... People who are making their living through herds and pasture and produce, when you say that the skies would shut off and the rains would cease, that like sends a shudder through that. Like, oh man, imagine how bad that would be. And that's exactly what the Lord did. When they turn away from him, he just shuts off the spigot. It says, you know, I'll turn the sky into hardened metal and the ground also. Just, you won't be able to get anything from either location. That just sent shutters through them. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart, and on, in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house. 
when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied, not just added to, added to but multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth, almost eternal is what he's saying. It needs to be a constant, a continuous thing, ever present. The Jews uh, took this and made leather pouches like bracelets or it would wrap around their hand and their forearm and they would put scripture in those and they wore that phylactery upon their forehead where they put the word of God in there and they would continuously remember what the Lord had said. They got very legalistic about it, but the origin of the thing is right here where they understood we need to have the word of God in us and upon us all the time, constantly in our lives. Listen, if, you don't, if you've got a smartphone, I assume almost every one of us does, you should probably have a Bible app or two or three or 50 on that phone. I just, I'm, I've got the word of God. I, I mean, I can't even believe, you know, someone asked me the other day, like, what do you use uh, for Bible software as far as studying goes? And I start the explanation and like 10 minutes later, I'm on like device five talking about all the different libraries of resource and research. And it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, I brought a brother in here uh, this week and he's walking by the back row and says, oh, somebody left their purse here. I said, no, that's that's my wife's church Bible. He said, church Bible. I said, yeah, and she's got a car Bible. And a bedroom Bible and a kitchen Bible and a bathroom Bible and an outdoor Bible and about just like every 10 feet there's a Bible and it's open. And she's, you can see right where she's been reading continuously. Needs to be in our lives, everywhere in our lives. And it needs to be in our conversations, everywhere, with our children especially. You want them to walk with the Lord? It needs to be a constant and a continuous discussion about what the Lord is doing. Listen, uh, I was at a pastor's conference years ago, and a pastor stood up, and he was not a pastor. He was an assistant pastor. And he said, Chuck Smith gave him the stage. He came up front, and he said, I was... Uh, assistant pastor in a very prominent church that you all know, and I led that church astray. I took them off into doctrine that was incorrect, created great division in my church, great sorrow in my church, a lot of destruction. And my pastor, whom you all know, he said, you know, was a wise man, finally heard from the Lord very clearly about me and about this doctrine that I had introduced to the church. And he very gently came to me and rebuked me and told me I was wrong after years of leading the church astray and destroying it. And he set me aright and removed me from ministry and set the church aright. And all things are restored and good and fruitful. But I want to warn you, he said, about being a divisive element in your church and leading people astray. And I got to tell you, I was a youth pastor at the time. 
I was just dumbstruck by that. You know, you're hearing some of the greatest pastors in the world literally share for three days, and this man stands up and gives a brief 10-minute confession, an apology of correction. And it, I mean, you literally could hear a pin drop in the room. And he stepped down off the stage, and Chuck Smith stepped up and said, there is no greater ministry than admitting when you are wrong. And I, I, that stuck in my heart and mind as a young man and a young pastor and a young father. That, that a lot of what I was going to do in ministry with my family was admitting when I was wrong. To just stand right up and say, you know what? You are right and I am wrong. And just declare, I've, I've lost my temper. I did that thing. I was incorrect. And to just declare that to my children, to my wife, to my family. You know, gratefully, I think it's gotten less and less over the years. Would you guys, they're not even agreeing with me. But anyway, <laughs> to, to just own it, right? I mean, Fonzie was entertaining, right? Boy, the older crowd got that. Nobody else ever, you know, couldn't ever say he was wrong. Couldn't let the words come out of his mouth, right? Stummer, stammer, and just, I was, you know, he just couldn't do it. If we will admit it, right? So when, when you see this and you hear about these people who've developed these wonderful, you know, devotional times and they read to their kids and they do all this stuff, please do all that stuff. But make your ministry very complete, too. Be, be real and share with them the things that they need to hear from you. And then the Lord will bless you. Verse 22, for if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God. Notice how he, he keeps saying that, like he doesn't go through the whole list of Ten Commandments. And he just... He nails it each time with you'll love the Lord your God. Why? Because if you love the Lord your God, then you're going to follow his commandments. Right? So he's just saying, look, you've got to love the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him. Then the Lord will drive out those nations from before you. Not that you're like, you know, got great military prowess that God will do the work. And you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourself. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, right? So there's your northern border. From the river, that's the Euphrates, as it says, even to the western sea, that's the Mediterranean. So all of this discussion about like where, where, where a West Bank, Gaza Strip, you know, Lebanon, it, it all belongs to Israel, by the way, because God gave it to them. It, it doesn't, yeah, I understand, and, and, they, and they need to make provision and you know, care for, and they are gracious with the people. I mean, if, if, you, if you live next door to somebody that, you know... <clears throat> Every 18 months or so shot, like, you know, 50 holes in your house from their yard. How, how long would you let them live next door? 
right? How long would you let your other neighbors tell you how you how how you needed to interact with that one neighbor that kept shooting holes through your house while you're at home? Your kids are in the house. Bullets are just flying through. No, right? The last the last attack more than five thousand rockets fired into Israel. Give me a break. Give me a break. You know, oh, well, they're just, they hit, you know, civilian quarters and they targeted, yeah, right where the rockets were being launched from, from the tops of hospitals. Exactly right. You know, the AP wire complaining about that. You blew our building up. Well, there was a missile battery on top of it and we called you and told you we're about to blow your building up. So you've literally got like 28 minutes to evacuate. Listen, a half hour? Like, leave now. They call, Israel's military calls every single landline and every single cell phone. How about this? They even go through the detail of saying, if you're getting this phone call, flee to the south. If you're getting this phone call, flee to the east, flee to the west, flee to the north. They're telling you right where they're going to hit. So you don't like run toward the explosion. No military in the world does that. Rockets fired from your location. We're about to turn it into a pile of rubble. Get out of the way. That's pretty gracious. Pretty gracious of them to handle themselves this way. This territory belongs to them. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you. It's a painful reality, you guys, a very painful reality that once this group crosses over into the promised land. They don't send 10 spies this time, right? They send two faithful servants. They tell them, when you come back, this is going to be your report, okay? Say this when you come back. When they meet with Rahab the harlot, right, 40 years ago, uh, uh, we've talked about it before, right? Cross the Red Sea. When they come out of the Red Sea, it's an 11-day march from the Red Sea to Jericho. Takes them 40 years. 40 years. Because they don't believe God. They do not trust God. So it takes them 40 years to come back. The entire previous generation is dead. They send two spies over this time. Rahab the harlot inside Jericho tells them, we knew you were coming. Look at what she says in Joshua chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Joshua 2, 10 and 11. For we had heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon of Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted 
neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Forty years ago, we were ready for you guys to walk in here and mop up. You've, you've spent 40 years coming to the conclusion we had 40 years ago that you guys were going to be the victors. That, that's, that's a painful admission. The realization of, well, frankly, I've wasted 40 years. That's tough. Verse 26, Behold, I set before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. So a little explanation before we move on. God is saying that, you know, spiritually, physically, uh, whether you are blessed or cursed is your choice. I'm going to set the blessing and the curse out, and you're going to choose through obedience or disobedience. This principle is unchanged spiritually. And, you know, we, we talk about scientific laws. Spiritual laws are scientific laws also. Right? So much so that even the unbelievers today will refer to God's law of sowing and reaping as instant karma. Have you heard that term? Right? Somebody does. No, you haven't? Then look it up on YouTube. You'll be astonished at the genre of instant karma. You know, the guy pulls up beside the woman, yelling and screaming at her. Got the window down. He's obscene gestures and foul language. And finally pulls his cell phone out like, I'm going to videotape you. Puts it up like this and the cell phone goes, gone. You know, blows away. The guy who pulls up beside the woman screaming and yelling, doesn't see the curbing coming, hits the curbing, loses control of his truck, crashes. Instant karma. Sowing and reaping. Right? Be not deceived. Whatever you sow, you will reap. God is saying that's a spiritual law. Blessing and cursing. Romans six sixteen. Be not deceived. Whom you obey, that is your master. Whether it is right disobedience leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Blessing and cursing. Lots of people like to blame God. God doesn't curse this way or bless this way. He sets it out for us. And we experience what the choice produces in our lives. Now this putting the blessing on Mount Gerizim, the curse on Mount Ebal, we'll get a little better explanation of it later, but they literally divide the priests and the people. And on Mount Gerizim, they proclaim 
the blessings of the Lord from the law and then from Mount Ebal, they answer basically, amen, so be it. And they pronounce the curse that will come if they disobey, disobey the, the blessing and then the blessing and then the curse and the blessing and the curse. I mean, you know, if you didn't get it from just reading and you're a visual learner, I mean, the Lord puts it out plain that you, you the choice is this simple. If you're going to follow the Lord, these will be the blessings. If you're going to disobey the Lord, then these will be the curses that come in the circumstance. You, know, you just watch the news and you can see what we are doing as a nation and what we have produced for ourselves. Are they not on the other side of Jordan toward the setting of the sun? This is Gerizim and Ebal. Toward the setting of the sun, the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal beside the terebinth trees of Morah. Now, you got to listen to that too, right? God is saying, when you get into the land, this is what I want you to do as an illustrative measure to learn what I'm saying about blessing and cursing. Within that is the promise from God that you're going to get into the land. My promises will be fulfilled in your lives. It's a tragic thing to see people who have crossed over into the blessings of the Lord who then continue in the disobedience and have to suffer the consequences. You've, you've made it into the promise, man. Put the thing down. Just stop. It's crazy. Literally. For you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and the judgments which I set before you today. Our nation has done a, a very similar thing to the nation of Israel. My hope is that as a nation, we will repent and experience a similar thing that the nation of Israel experienced. There is a diagram that was developed by a Scotsman who referred to it as the body politic. And it's a circular diagram. And it begins in bondage. And it's drawn a few different ways, but bondage followed by enlightenment produces great courage, which then produces freedom, which produces prosperity, which produces comfort and ease, which produces lethargy which produces dependence, which produces bondage. What's most unfortunate is we're in the place of dependence right now. Right? The prosperity, you'd have to go back quite a ways to find that in this nation. We've swung full through the lethargy. Some people say apathy, 
right? Apathy is a thought process. Lethargy is actually a physical conduct or lack of it, right? Lethargy. Lethargy followed by dependence. I've talked to several employers lately, and they're begging for employees. And when they talk to people who are potential employees, it comes down to, I'm getting more from the government than I could possibly get from you. Dependency. Here's the tragedy. Every single society in the world has cycled through this. Only one has gone from the place of lethargy into the place of dependence and bondage and then started the process again. Only one. Every other nation, when they get to that place of dependence, reaches their demise. That's the end of their nation. The only one that has been in that bondage and experienced enlightenment and great courage and then freedom, Israel. Israel. Our sister, Israel. Pray to God we can follow the example of our sister Israel. Amen. That there would be great enlightenment. We, we have the potential. It's in your hands, right? Word of God. We have the potential for it. What are we going to do? Blessings and curses, God said. I set them before you. You choose. Listen, here's the beautiful thing. You can choose it individually whether we choose it collectively as a nation or not. Right? Because God always has his remnant. Always has his remnant. And we can be the remnant. We may have to go into bondage with the remainder of the nation. But we can be the remnant in the midst of it. Let God speak to your heart personally about that one issue, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. If we will do that, then we will experience the blessing of the Lord. If we do not then we have to go down with everybody else in the process. Let the Lord deliver you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we are so grateful for your love and your work in our lives, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts, be it ever so painful, or be it ever so loving and encouraging. Help us to be men and women that respond that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done in us, through us, and by us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.